Welcome, friends, and thank you for coming to the show. Please have your tickets ready as we come through to check them. Tonight, I will be your host. You can call me The Creeper. Welcome to the show, Carnival X. For your enjoyment, we have four fun-sized tales of Halloween terror all of them involving strange and even horrific encounters that occurred while trick-or-treating. Please step into our first tent. In here, we will hear our shortest tale first, which involves a very strange trick-or-treating experience in which the children never received their treats. Put your headphones on, turn out the lights, and enjoy our first story, titled, Spooky Halloween Encounter. When I was a kid, about 10, I was allowed to go trick-or-treating alone around the neighborhood with two friends, both my age. I was dressed as a witch, or something of that nature. It was a long time ago, so I don't quite remember. Anyway, we get to a house where a man, who was probably in his mid-forties, answers the door and says that the candy is inside, and we can step in and get it. Being up to date on our Stranger Danger lectures, we politely declined and offered to wait outside. He looked annoyed, but didn't press it. He said to wait right there, and then shut the door. Maybe 30 seconds pass, and then he flings the door open. There's a flash as he takes a picture of us and slams the door in our face. We all ran down to the main street and stood for a second, wondering what happened, and then decided just to keep trick-or-treating. Luckily, nothing happened, but it scared the heck out of us. There's a house where I definitely would not want to be asking for treats. What was that man doing with the photos of those children anyway? Perhaps we'll hear from him again later. But, hopefully not. If you step this way into our second tent, we will experience our second unwanted encounter of the night. But, this time, instead of a creepy homeowner, we come across someone who claims to be protecting children from a creepy homeowner. 
Perhaps these were both from the same house? Nevertheless, please enjoy the simply titled Fake Cop on Halloween. This happened almost a decade ago, when I was 13 years old. I remember my friend and I were excited about our first time trick-or-treating without our parents. We lived in a small town where nothing ever happens, and we thought it would be the same that night. It started like any other Halloween night. We collected candy, ran into many of our classmates, and had a lot of fun. At 8 p.m., We realized we had to head home, but on the way back, we dropped by our teacher's house. She wasn't home, and the street didn't have many streetlights. To add to this, most of the houses had their lights turned off, and their Halloween decorations were taken down. My friend and I were slightly spooked and disappointed by the lack of candy. We wanted to get out of the street as soon as possible. That's when a man emerged from under one of the few streetlights. It was a police officer. Neither of us seemed to notice him before this, possibly due to the darkness. He startled us, but seemed very friendly. The cop introduced himself and pointed to an inconspicuous bungalow. He said an older man living in this house was inviting trick-or-treaters inside. Someone called the police, but when he arrived, no one was answering the door. He kept telling us his police car and partner were just around the block. We looked around, but couldn't see them. I was a pretty paranoid kid. Growing up, my mom loved watching crime shows, and she'd always tell me tidbits of lessons. One of these was a story about fake cops. Although I don't remember the details, I remembered people can pretend to be police officers to gain trust. Throughout this whole exchange, I was terrified. His lack of badge, police car, and partner did not feel right. I was also conflicted because he was smiling and seemed like he just wanted to help. That was until we heard his strange request. He said he needed to speak to this potential predator and needed our help. Since we were young girls, the man would answer if we knocked. The officer claimed he would hide behind the bushes next to the front door. He would wait for him to invite us in, jump out, and catch him red-handed. At that moment, I knew my friend felt the same way I did. We both fell silent but one of us managed to ask if we could discuss. The cop said yes, but told us we had limited time. The street was silent, and he could hear everything. I remember the feeling of wanting to say something, but fearing he would hear us and escalate the situation. We just stared at each other for what felt like forever. The cop was getting increasingly impatient, and told us we had to decide quickly 
Around that moment, a family came down the street and noticed the officer. They were coming over to see what was happening. That's when the cop said he'd be right back and to not go anywhere. My friend and I scrambled to collect our thoughts and decided to run away. We sprinted out of the street and didn't look back. On our way home, we discussed theories that ranged from him being a fake cop, him playing a prank on us, or him being a real cop, but we misunderstood the situation. When we told our parents, we downplayed it a lot and doubted our experience. In the end, we didn't call the police, but our dads drove to the house and area around the house. No cop cars or police officers were in sight. Over the years, I can say I regret not calling the police. At the time, my friend and I were convinced we misunderstood what happened. We even told our class the next day, and most, including our teacher, thought it was not alarming. Looking back, I find it extremely strange a police officer would put two children in such a potentially dangerous situation, moreover with our parents not present. I wonder what his motives were, but it will, unfortunately, remain unsolved. These kids just can't catch a break, can they? First it's the creepy homeowners, then it's the creepy fake police officer claiming to be protecting them from the other creep. Please follow me to the next tent. For our next tale, our trick-or-treaters dare to approach a home with a very long driveway, from which they cannot even see the house at the end. Please enjoy. The House with the Long Driveway When I was two, my family moved from rural Louisiana to a suburb in the city. Growing up, I would play with the neighborhood kids. We would ride scooters and bikes up and down the street, or we would play hide and seek. They were the type of kids who were too cool for baby things like cartoons and feelings. For the most part, the neighbors were okay. We had our share of those who would yell at us for being on their lawn, but, for the most part, everyone kept to themselves. All of the houses were the same basic model. 
They all had grass lawns with two bushes in front and a privacy fence in the backyard. However, there was one house that was very strange. Unlike the cookie-cutter suburban homes, this house was built on a dip in the surrounding land away from the rest of the houses. It had a pond next to it with a small bridge over it that served as the driveway which led up to a large black gate with stone pillars decorated with lanterns. The yard was scattered with trees that provided shade and made the house look very dark, even in the day. There were always cars in the driveway, but I never saw anyone there. Nobody did. There was never any spooky event or time that caused everyone to be afraid of the house that I knew of. The house just seemed to give off an aura. Nobody wanted to go near it. All the kids would use the buddy system just to walk past it. Every once in a while, kids would be dared to do things like touch the gates or just stand by them, alone, for a few minutes. Some cocky kids would even climb onto the pillars to be cool. The biggest dare, however, was to go get candy from them on Halloween. Only the brave kids would attempt this. According to some of these kids, every Halloween, the gates would be opened, decorations would line the driveway, and, if you were brave enough, a bowl of premium candy would be at the end. Full bars of Hershey, Nutter Butter, full-sized Reese's. Of course, it was always okay to go in groups of three or more. Kid logic, you know. There would be loud Halloween music and treats, but no people. At some point, almost everyone was dared. The full-size bars were just too tempting. Beside, we didn't think anything bad really happened at that house. It was just creepy. When I was 11, it happened to me. I was dared to trick or treat at their house. I guess it was because I was a huge scaredy cat and the other kids could sense that. When you're 11, you can't be scared, so I agreed. I guess they felt a little bad for me so I was allowed to bring one person with me. I chose Jordan. She was my next door neighbor, kinda pudgy and very insecure about it. We were both considered lame, so we tended to stick together. She was a huge crybaby. The other kids liked to pick on her because they would always get a reaction. She was also extremely empathetic. No matter how much she got, she would always talk about how the other kids are probably mean because they're hurting. She always said one day they would change. When the night came, the kids gathered by the house. Jordan and I were given the rundown. They would wait three minutes by the gate. If we didn't show after that, they would leave us. We were handed two trash bags for candy and sent on our way. They said they would watch us to make sure we didn't chicken out, but if we took too long, they would just leave so they could trick or treat. Halfway down the driveway, we started to get creeped out. 
I decided to look back and make sure they were still there. I couldn't see them anymore. Trees were blocking our view. Jordan tapped me and said we should hurry before they leave. The farther we walked, the louder the music seemed. It was fun, jaunty Halloween music mixed with atmospheric noises like doors creaking, Wilhelm screams, and basic spooky moans. When we got down to the front porch, we decided to rock, paper, scissors for who would actually grab the candy. I won. I stood guard while Jordan crept up to the door and grabbed a handful of Nutter Butters. The moment she dug her hand in, a piercing scream rung out. Both me and Jordan jumped back. She slipped on the porch and fell hard. I rushed to try and help her up. I asked her if she was okay. She started tearing up. She had some cuts on her arms that were bleeding. I was trying to dust her off when the front door creaked open. A lady appeared. She told us that she heard a thump and decided to check up on us. It gave me a very uneasy vibe. She looked stiff, like a mannequin. It was hard to notice anything else though, because I found myself staring at her eyes. There was something hypnotic about it. She told us that she would get a first aid kit, inside, and that we should follow her. As her figure started to slink back into the darkness, both me and Jordan found ourselves standing up. I was too focused on her eyes to figure out what was going on. Her brown, amber eyes seemed bright, almost like they were glowing. I almost stepped inside the house, but my shoe clipped the door frame, causing me to stumble, and I snapped out of it. In a split second, I realized her feet weren't touching the ground. She didn't even look like a person, just vaguely person-shaped. Her eyes were just two glowing holes. Jordan was already in the house. I reached out to try and grab her, but the lady wrapped her arms and legs around her, and in a split second, both of them were snapped backward into the darkness. In that moment, the lady seemed to resemble a Venus flytrap-like being. The front door slammed shut, and there was a piercing scream. Before I fully realized what happened, I ran back to the front gate. Nobody was waiting for us. I stood there in shock for about an hour. I was shaking and sweaty, felt like I was going to throw up. A concerned mother approached me and asked if everything was okay. I just nodded and said I was going to go find my friends. When I tracked most of them down, they expressed that they waited for us for 10 minutes but got bored. I tried to tell them, but they all laughed at me and told me my ghost story wasn't very scary. After that night, Jordan was reported missing. Everyone assumed she was kidnapped on Halloween, 
and that my mind made up a ghost tale to try and deal with the trauma. A while passed, and people started forgetting about Jordan. Even her parents started forgetting important details. Soon, I began to wonder how many kids everyone just forgot. Some days, I passed the house. Some days, the doors open. It always seems like there's a light somewhere inside, calling me. Jordan, I'm so sorry. in the first two stories, our heroes made the escape. Unfortunately, Jordan was not so lucky. If you will follow me to our fourth tent, we will hear the longest of our four fun-sized tales of the evening. In our first three tales, our protagonists were all innocent. However, in our final tale, I think you may find that our heroes may just be responsible for their own fate. This one is called Breaking into Merv the Perv's house on Halloween was a mistake. Now, I'd think breaking into a house of someone named Merv the Perv would be a mistake on any day. Anyway, roll the story. You're still coming to Merv the Perv's house tonight, right? Jack asked, slouching over the handlebars of his pushbike. Noah's been keeping the eggs under his bed for weeks. He said the smell is getting pretty bad. Uh, maybe, I replied. I have to take Will trick-or-treating first. You better not be bitching out, Jack frowned. I'm not bitching out, I lied. Vigilante justice just wasn't in my nature. But unfortunately, giving in to peer pressure was. My old man caught him going through our trash yesterday. Reckons he was willing to leave it alone when it was just the photos of our houses. But now Dad said we ought to teach him a lesson. I think most of the street feels that way. I'll meet up with you guys after, okay? Alright, meet us outside Noah's house, Jack said before riding off. Merv had become the pariah of our quiet street since moving in over a year ago. At first, 
It was just pictures of our houses with Merv claiming it was for historical purposes. Tensions rose when he started taking photos of the street's occupants. You could be taking the trash out or mowing the lawn, and Merv would walk out onto his porch and snap a photo. Things reached a boiling point when he was caught rummaging through the garbage bins on collection day. Messing with Merv was a regular occurrence now that the kids on our cul-de-sac knew it would result in little to no punishment from their parents. It was never anything serious. A few flat tires, or less than desirable words exchanged on sight. Halloween was just another excuse to make his life harder. After my little brother Will had dragged me up and down the neighborhood, I took him home and met up with Jack and Noah. Merv's house was only a few doors down on the opposite side of the street. Slowing our pace, we waited for those still roaming the streets in search of candy to go home before hiding behind the large oak tree in Merv's front yard. It came as no surprise there weren't any decorations nor any children approaching his door. Noah opened his backpack and the smell of the eggs made me gag. Yeah, Noah laughed. Try sleeping with them under your bed. I don't think I'll ever eat eggs again. Shh, shut up, Jack ordered in a hushed tone and pointed. Look, over there. Merv's garage door had opened, and we clung to the side of the oak tree as he reversed down the driveway and pulled out onto the street. Without saying a word, Jack ran toward the garage door as it clunked and creaked shut. Noah and I stumbled to our feet and followed. All three of us were able to squeeze through the gap before the garage door shut. It was too dark to see anything, and the smell of eggs mixed with the scent of wood. You idiot, I yelled, my heart racing with the fear of what Merv would do to us if we were caught. Let's just take a look around, Jack said. We'll be quick. Suddenly, a loud crash came from somewhere in the darkness, causing Jack and me to jump out of our skin. Sorry, Noah called. I found the lights. The bulb came to life and light filled the room. Woodworking equipment hung in every free space of the walls. Hand saws, power saws, planes and sanders. Entering the house, we found the inside littered with trash, empty bottles, and containers. What the? Jack muttered, turning into the living room. Take a look at this. Three levels of shelving had been fixed around the entire room, holding dozens of small wooden dolls. They all had different clothing, skin tones, and facial expressions. Guys, Noah called from another room. Hurry. Stepping over the trash and toward Noah's voice, we found him in the dining room past the kitchen. Next to him was a large table stretched from one end of the room to the other. Small wooden houses lay atop the table. At first, I was curious, but as I got closer, chill ran down my spine. Pictures had been taped to every space in the wall. Photos of our houses and families were wrinkled 
and looked well used. This is our street, Noah said, the tone in his voice soft. I looked down to find that Noah was right. Our houses sat in their correct places on the street, in perfect detail. Walking around the table, I knelt down and looked into the front window of my house. Small wooden replica figures of my parents sat on the couch in the living room, staring at the tiny wooden TV. He's made figures for my parents, I said. Dude, Jack shouted. The doll even has the same shirt my mom was wearing today. I can't find myself. Am I at either of your houses? Noah asked. Realizing I hadn't seen my own doll, I looked back down and to my horror saw the doll of my mother start to move its limbs. In jarring slow motions, it walked toward the window and closed the curtain. It moved, I said in a panic. It moved. The figure moved. Stop messing with us, Noah spat. This place is scary enough. He's not lying, Noah, Jack mumbled. Look at this. Jack pointed to the replica of Merv's house, and we peered through the side window. There, in Merv's dining room, our three counterparts stood around the table. Noah's face went pale as he stared at the dolls. I'm getting out of here, I said, turning toward the door. I'd seen enough movies to know this would never end well. Hold on, let me take a quick picture at least, Jack said, grabbing his phone from his pocket. And I gotta get rid of these eggs, Noah protested. Unload them in the house, Jack ordered. By the time I heard the first egg crack against the wall, I was already halfway through the front door. When my sneakers hit the sidewalk, Merv's car pulled back into the street. As the automatic garage door clunked open and Merv pulled into the driveway, Noah and Jack came scrambling. F you, old man, Jack yelled, launching an egg at the windscreen. Merv got out of the car, but quickly realized he wouldn't be able to catch them. There wasn't much fight in him. I watched from across the street as he trudged into his house and slammed the front door shut. When I got home, my parents were asleep, and though I was shaken from what I'd seen, the guilt stopped me from waking them. Yes, Merv was creepy, and it was strange what we had seen, but I didn't like the idea of trashing an old man's house just because we knew we wouldn't be punished. Eventually, I fell asleep until I was awoken in the early hours by a blood-curdling scream. Joining the crowd of onlookers, I watched in horror as Jack's father ran from the house, screaming for help and holding his son. Jack's limbs had been broken and tied behind his back like a large Christmas bow. Jack's mouth was slightly ajar and on closer inspection. The top of his phone could be seen sticking out from under his front teeth. I watched the paramedics try to dislodge it from his throat before giving up after checking his pulse. A quiet chuckle came from beside me. 
Glancing over, my eyes met with Merv's and a slight smile formed on his face. Shh. Merv mouthed, raising a finger to his lips. I froze in fear, and as if on cue, another incoherent scream echoed throughout the cul-de-sac. It was Noah's mother. My father later told me she had found her son in bed with his neck twisted so many times it snapped off the last remaining threads of flesh when she pulled his body close. Noah's head had rolled onto the carpet, leaving a trail of yellow yolk-like liquid. The smell of rotten eggs stained the house for months. Paramedics understood the loss of life now made it a crime scene and attempted to disperse the crowd. When I told my parents about Merv, I think they believed my story about the dolls, even forwarding the information to the police. But my mother could only offer an awkward laugh when I accused Merv of magic. Potential charges of stalking and harassment had been mentioned at the dinner table. Still, there was never any talk of murder. My family, along with others on the street, moved the moment they could afford it. There's a certain amount of guilt I feel when the thought of Noah and Jack float back into my mind. My guilt stems from the wave of relief that washes over me. Relief that my friends met that gruesome fate rather than myself. Though I don't live anywhere near that street anymore, I often wonder if our dolls are still moving around under Merv's supervision. Or if he simply shelved us and started anew. mistake that was. Oh, by the way, was Merv the Perv the same guy who snapped photos of the trick-or-treaters on his doorstep in our first tale of the night? It's sort of like we have four stories with the same house, isn't it? Thank you for coming out tonight, my spooky friends. Please remember, on your way out, to monster mash that subscribe button and click the Frankenshine next to it. This will ensure that the Elder Gods of YouTube alert you when our next tale or our collection of tales premieres. And if you enjoyed these tales tonight, please hit the like button. Until next time, sweet nightmares. <laughs>